Welcome back to a brand new season of the Almost Shameless podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being back with me for a new NFL season, a new fall, a new year. Most of us really, you know, if we are NFL fans, you know, hardcore NFL fans, the calendar really starts in September for us, right? So you know, the summer is wrapping up, uh, just in time, LA is having a heat wave. So it's been a cool, nice breezy summer all the whole time, last few months. And now we're getting a massive heat wave. So, uh, we're going to speed through this podcast, hit all of our points so I can turn the AC back on in my apartment. Cause it's too loud to record and have this AC on at once. So like I said, I'm so happy to be back talking about a new NFL season with you guys. Um, there's a lot we have to talk about. We have to catch up on the off season. We have to catch up on what's going on with Patriots. Um, there are clearly things I have opinions on. So we are going to hit on the Patriots to start. I want to talk about where the conversation is around the Patriots, uh, league wide, you know, across NFL media. I want to talk about the conversation surrounding Bill Belichick and how, how we are judging him, um, and where that bar is set and maybe, you know, why it is set where it is. Cause I think, I think we've lost sight. I think we've lost sight of some things. Um, maybe not Patriots nation, but the rest of America, right? I think we've lost sight of some, some really important key factors in the Belichick conversation, specifically when it comes to Belichick post Brady, right? Cause that's really where the criticism has come over the last couple of years. So we're going to hit on that in depth and I've talked about it before, but I've got some new points to make. So we're going to get into it. Uh, we're also going to talk about the offseason um, with Deshaun Watson, what it says about the league. Obviously, I think that's clear. Um, I think we know where the league stands, right? But there's a there's a different angle on this that I've been considering a lot, and that's um, the role that the media plays in covering these stories, and specifically sports media, right? Because sports media is, by and large, um, the most important entity uh, outside of the league itself and the people legitimately involved, um, talking about this and in terms of like getting change to happen. And I think sports media, because of decades and decades, century of behaving a specific way and, and relating to the outside world, outside of sports, outside the sports bubble in a specific way has really dropped the ball on this. And I want to talk about how we get a, how we can change that and what needs to happen moving forward. Um, in these conversations. Uh, and then we were going to wrap this up with a little bit of AFC uh, season predictions. Um, again, you guys know this. I, I'm not a huge predictions guy. I'm trying to act like I have some sort of crystal ball. Anybody who makes predictions and sort of uh, at this point in, in, in the season where we haven't even hit week one, um, it's just really kind of talking out of their ass. But I do think that there are some general trends and some things we can all agree on that would lead us to a uh, consensus on whether or not where the Patriots specifically stand in the AFC and who their real competition is, um, how each division looks like it could play out based on what we know right now. Just a broad kind of fun prediction on how things could go. Because again, and this will relate a little bit back to what we talk about with Patriots to start. I think we, um, I think we have a, a little bit of a warped view of where the mid-level AFC teams uh, stand. So yeah, let's get into it. First off, uh, the Patriots have had a weird preseason. Um, not the greatest showing, you know, by Mac Jones. Uh, we're post Josh McDaniels, so uh, we are now in the Matt Patricia offense 
era? I don't know. Uh, I have some conspiracy theories about what's going on there. Um, I've talked about this on a different podcast, so I'll reiterate it here. I am not 100% sure that Bill Belichick is leaving the offense in the hands of Matt Patricia so much as he is taking charge of the offense himself and letting Matt Patricia be his mouthpiece. I know he trusts Patricia almost too much. uh, And I know that he's sort of his minion. He brought him up, you know, the genius that he brought in and all that stuff as a kid. But Bill Belichick is an underrated offensive mind. He worked with the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL for 20 years. Like he's got a lot to offer. And I just refuse to believe that he's leaving Mac Jones in his second year, this critical, most critical year of, of Mac Jones career in the hands of Matt Patricia exclusively. Right. Um, we know that Bill Belichick worked hand in hand with Tom Brady throughout his career, weekly meetings, going through defenses, all of that stuff. And I see no reason why he won't be doing the same types of things with Mac as he continues to learn and grow. So I'm trying to remain optimistic about the play caller situation on offense purely for that reason, because, um, there's no reason to underestimate Bill Belichick at this point. Uh, you know, the main, the main thing I've noticed in the preseason is there's this lack of acknowledgement, almost as if it never happened that the Patriots made the playoffs last year with a rookie quarterback. I was very skeptical at the beginning of last season that the Patriots could make the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, anyone, not just Mac Jones, but it was just a very difficult thing to do considering where they were starting from. And this, the second year without Tom Brady, all that stuff, I was skeptical. He proved me and most people wrong, right? He took Mac Jones, this rookie quarterback, not the most, most athletic guy out there, just a good, accurate guy doing his best to, to the playoffs. Now you fast forward to this preseason and you think that they've been wallowing at the bottom of the league since Tom Brady left, by the way, people talk about it. And, you know, I feel like I'm fairly balanced when it comes to talking about the Patriots. I don't live in new England right now. So I am a little removed from the extreme bubble, right? So sometimes I get in trouble. I know you guys get mad at me for being more critical of the team than you want, but I also am always going to be a little bit fairer on the team than like the broader national media, I think, because I'm paying more attention. And I think it's bizarre that Bill Belichick is by and large getting almost no credit. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's like it never happened that he took a rookie quarterback to the playoffs last year. By the way, Rookie quarterback out of the same school that Tua Tagovailoa came from and that Jalen Hurts came from. So two other, we got two other starting quarterbacks, right? Two other starting quarterbacks in the league out of this school, all played together at Alabama. And Mac Jones, leapfrogs, makes it to the playoffs. It's a pretty big deal, you know? Um, And you know, I think it always centers around the same thing, which is pretty wild to me because we've been doing this for almost 20 years, the, the lack of shiny objects on the offense, right? Um, and for a very long time, I understand that the lack of shiny objects on offense outside of the Gronks and the Randy Mosses and all that stuff, the little Wes Welker, you know, some of the like brighter stars that they've had on offense, Tom Brady could always elevate players, elevate them to a to new level. And he did that for all those players that I just mentioned as well. And of course, it's crazy to expect that Mac Jones could do the same thing. Nobody in the history of the NFL has done that at that level other than Tom Brady, right? So Mac Jones is not going to be able to elevate players like Tom Brady did. 
um, especially in the middle part and later part of his career. But Tom Brady wasn't, you know, doing that to the extent that he does that we know him for now early on, you know, in those first two, three, four years of starting right in this in the early dynasty. So can you name the wide receivers from those years? You know, I can because I was watching, but there was no superstars on that. I mean, it's mostly the the best, the biggest name to come out of that is like Troy Brown, David Gibbons. You know, the, these are not like future first ballot Hall of Fame guys that were playing wide receiver for Tom Brady. They always made it work, right? Different league, of course, different time. It's a much, much more passing centric league, but I just find it bizarre that we're still doing this 20 years later. Who do they have as a wide receiver? Who's, who's going to pass it to? Well, they went out and they got Devontae Parker. They have Jacoby Myers. Like we know that they're moving pieces around. Bill Belichick's not good at drafting wide receivers. We know this. They've got some tight ends. They've got their running backs that they're decent at drafting, right? And this, this is what we've been watching forever. And everybody's just losing their mind because they're like, well, he doesn't have Tom Brady anymore. So he can't make it work. What do you mean he can't make it work? He just made the playoffs last year with a rookie. Like, <laughs> I'm just so confused at like, where the extreme skepticism is coming from. And I think it all stems from an inability to compartmentalize Bill Belichick from Tom Brady, which I understand. One has won a Super Bowl since they left. One has struggled a little bit more, okay? One is in charge of an entire team that they have to rebuild without the greatest football player in NFL history. And one is said greatest football player in NFL history who went to a team prepared to make a deep playoff run when he arrived. So I don't know why we continue to make these two comparisons. They're two completely different things. The job Bill Belichick has to do to rebuild uh, sort of and reframe an entire team around new players without Tom Brady, the GOAT, is a different job than Tom Brady had to go and play with all pros and pro, pro bowlers in, in Tampa Bay. Not saying it's not an incredible achievement. The guy's ridiculous. You guys know this. The, go through the tweets. I'm always accused of being a Tom Brady homer. This is not an anti-Tom Brady thing. But they're two different jobs, so we got to stop comparing the jobs, too. And here's, I'm going to give you a hint. I'm going to, it's not even a hint. I'm going to give you a pro tip. Here's how you know someone has absolutely no idea what they are talking about when it comes to, to examining Bill Belichick's career. This is what they say. Red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, tomato, tomato, tomato. Here's what you're going to hear. Take away the years that he was with Tom Brady. Take Take the Tom Brady years out of Bill Belichick's career. And what did he do? Pause. What? What do you mean? Take it away. You can't take away 20 years. You're like take, take clay away from Rafa Nadal. Take the doubles titles away from Serena Williams. Take the masters away from Tiger Wood. What are we doing? You can't take away the 20 years happened and he was a part of them. And we know how integral he was in it because for years and years and years, Tom Brady's ring counts went up and people kept saying, he's got Belichick, he's got defense, he's got Vinatieri, he's got Gostowski. Now, all of a sudden, Tom Brady did it completely alone. Bill Belichick's nothing without Tom Brady. First of all, Tom Brady left. Bill Belichick is 70 now. <laughs> you don't get to like retroactively be like, see, he sucks. He's 70, he's already put in the 45 years of like extreme high level coaching. He's already won two rings as a defensive coordinator with the Giants. He is already the guy who Bill Parcells couldn't get to a Super Bowl without. 
He's the guy who helped Bill Parcells get to a Super Bowl with the Patriots. He's a guy who took the Browns to the playoffs before they disintegrated into thin air. That team, that was a lame duck team. Cleveland was two seconds away from driving off into the middle of the night and disappearing. And Belichick still managed to take that team to the playoffs. And then it took them another 30 years to get back. We know the story, right? This is the guy who went 11 and five with Matt Castle, a career backup who never had another 11 five season in his career. I'm not even sure he hit 500 again in his career, 11 and five with Matt Castle. And everybody's like one year without Tom Brady, they didn't make the playoffs. The year they went 11 and five and made history by missing the playoffs at 11 and five teams didn't go 11 and five and miss the playoffs back then. It was total fluke. Oh, and that AFC East that never gave them any trouble. Well, they, they did that year because the dolphins were better that one year. It, all the arguments fall apart. Even when they do try to take the 20 years away again, 20, Tell us, I hope that when you're 70, someone says, take away 20 years of your prime. What was your life? The 20 years where I got promoted and got married and had kids and, you know, really hit my stride. Yeah, just take them out. What are you, you can't do that. That is such an exercise in futility. And I think it's so disingenuous and such an in bad faith argument. Uh, and I see it over and over and over again you know, acting like we didn't have 15 years of people saying, look at what Tom Brady has in New England. Now, all of a sudden we're going to rewrite history because he went and won one Super Bowl with a stacked Bucks team. He lost in the divisional round last year. Now it may have been an MVP caliber season, but he still didn't make the championship game made like 10 in a row in New England <laughs> before that one year that in 2019 after, you know, before he left, by the way, already knew he was going to leave, uh, made a lot of straight championship games. Couldn't make it back with the bucks last year. Just saying, I just find the conversation to be so flat. And like I said before, just disingenuous. Like, like I was, I remember, I remember what you guys said about the first dynasty. There's tape, right? That <laughs> was, Don Brady was awesome. And upon retrospect, he was better than people gave him credit for at the time, especially by 2004. But you're going to sit here and tell me Bill Belichick couldn't have won some Super Bowls with another quarterback. You're going to sit here and tell me that Tom Brady would have won six in 20 years with another team. Why don't we go over and talk to Andy Reid? Because Patrick Mahomes, he's got one ring. Tom Brady had three by now. Why don't we go out and talk to Drew Brees, who had the beloved, hailed Sean Payton for 15 years, made one Super Bowl. Drew Brees, and Tom Brady's better than Drew Brees, but he's not that much better than Drew Brees. One Super Bowl. He made one Super Bowl, not just one one. He only got to make one. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been in a Super Bowl in over a decade. And you're telling me that Tom Brady is five rings better a quarterback than Peyton Manning? Let's hear a funeral if you want to make that argument. Is he better? Yes. He's better than everybody. He's better than everybody. Any coach lucky enough to, to coach Tom Brady had 
such a better chance at winning a championship. It's indescribable. But who is Tom Brady without 20 years in New England? We'll never know. We'll never know who Tom Brady is, what kind of quarterback he'd become, what kind of ethos he'd have around the game if he hadn't played for Bill Belichick because it happened. And you can't undo it. You cannot undo the weekly meetings. You cannot undo him learning how to read defenses. You cannot undo the the spark that was ignited in him by winning. You can't undo the fact that Belichick stuck with Tom Brady in 2001 over Drew Bledsoe. You can't undo how Tom Brady valued team building after seeing what he could do with a defense and the special teams that Bill Belichick created for him thus inspiring him to take team-friendly deals. You can't undo any of it. So who Tom Brady is today, inextricably linked to Bill Belichick to try to take 20 years away from either of those guys is not only, it's not only disingenuous and in bad faith, it's no fun. What, that's no fun. You're trying to say we wasted 20 years of our life, like being afraid of those two as the, probably the most incredible duo to ever grace an NFL field. Shut up, shut up. Bill Belichick took a rookie to the playoffs last year. And I want to talk later about what that means for the outlook moving forward. So we'll loop back around to where the Patriots stand in 2022 uh, when we do our AFC predictions. Um, But in the meantime, just, just keep some of that in mind. Okay. Let's hit on some of the Deshaun Watson stuff. You guys, there's a 0% chance that anybody listening to this can't predict my feelings on the situation. Um, so I won't bore you with my personal opinions on a starting quarterback getting record money from a team in the midst of being accused of sexual harassment, and sexual assault by 24 plus women. I think you guys probably know where I stand. And I won't bore you with the details about how the NFL landed on an 11 game suspension that just ha- so happens to bring him back against the Houston Texans. Uh, again, you know, the whole thing is a, it's a facade. It's a game of chess to kind of duel the NFLPA, work through the CBA negotiations and say, here's what we, you know, here's how we can establish our precedent moving forward. Um, all of it, all of it is, is parlor tricks, right? All of it is palace intrigue. That's, I just, I can't spend another minute thinking about that part of it. But what I do want to talk about is how the media handles this stuff. Because what I've noticed that is that as time has gone by, the response from real people, people on Twitter, people on social media in general, people I talk to in the world has actually really started to swing back from where's the proof and innocent until proven guilty to genuinely understanding that this is like deeply problematic. And I think that the response has been heartening, not only um, in the wake of the Deshaun Watson stuff, but also the Matt Areza stuff with the bills. They, again, like more bullshit being spouted from a team about not knowing things having to take some time to figure out what was going on. You know, they draft a punter who had been accused of raping a 17 year old and apparently didn't know. And it's all the same stuff, the same sort of parsing language that comes out culture. We're not here to, you know, 
be distracted by anything and we just want to move forward and we wish everybody the best kind of bullshit, right? The problem is that we are still a media by and large guided by outdated rules and ethics that just don't apply anymore in the world of social media and the world of the internet in, in 2022 when we have access and knowledge to everything when we communicate about everything that goes on in the world when we acknowledge that sports don't exist in a bubble we've been doing that for a long time the stick to sports era has been over for a decade right but the sort of unwritten rules of journalism still apply to a lot of people especially older generations of reporters people in there, you know, mid, late forties and up that simply don't want to get down into the muck of like dealing with the morality and the ethical implications of the things that they're covering. So they don't want to ask, they don't want to go to the Brown's press conference and ask the question about Deshaun Watson being a, a, an, a sexual predator, right? They don't want to go to the bills and say, Hey, what's that culture you were talking about again, because you're on the precipice of being able to maybe make a Super Bowl. And in the middle of the Deshaun Watson stuff happening, you missed a rape charge, a rape allegation against your punt god punter. An allegation, by the way, that a couple other teams actually knew about ahead of the draft. So, okay. You know, there's a lot of people who are still really uncomfortable asking those questions because they still live in a world where sports, it's, you know, it's sports first and sure, we're going to talk... We will report the things that are happening, but we don't want to weigh in. And to some extent, I understand that weighing in when you don't have the vocabulary and you don't have the words to, to express um, how you feel, or you don't feel like you have the right to weigh in because it doesn't, you know, maybe you're not part of an, a marginalized group that is affected all of that stuff. Like I understand that that can be intimidating. And frankly, sometimes it is smart to be more quiet and reserved but I think there's a difference between that and putting out, you know, statements that are clearly designed to mislead with no context, right? So something like what Adam Schefter has done several times, which is like, well, Deshaun Watson feels vindicated because he did it blah, 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 with no context about the fact that, you know, not getting a grand jury indictment is highly irregular, highly unusual. And definitely not an indication of innocence, especially when there's still civil lawsuits pending. You know, these are the kind of things that the reporters we rely on need to start doing. You start holding accountability to this individual sources they're getting these things from, because we are increasingly seeing these reporters rely on individual sources. And usually those sources are close to the players that are in trouble or that we are like sort of looking at to give us answers for really important things. You know, you see a lot of the people taking the lead on these conversations and talking about the social um, implications of these things are women and people of color of a certain age who have to bear the brunt of dealing with this in an ethical, moral way on social media and on their podcasts and everything else like that. And, um, and it does create this divide where you know, the people who speak out about this stuff, they're the like emotional ones. They're the, they're the one that, that the spitfire ones and the people who don't talk about it, they're unbiased. They're just doing their job. And the fact of the matter is that's not true anymore. It's not doing your job to release a statement from a quarterback 
who's under investigation for all of these like pretty appalling crimes without any context that doesn't hold up to journalistic integrity standards anymore. So, you know, as we move forward, we're, we know things we can't count on. We can't count on the NFL. We can't count on the NFL PA. We can't count on the teams themselves. Like we know how this is going to go. They're going to continue to let people get away with violence against women. They're going to continue to, uh, assert their power struggle as like the main focus of these um, suspensions. And they're gonna continue to draft players with major red flags, even crimes. And that's something that we should not anticipate changing. But what we should anticipate changing is the way the media holds those people accountable once they make it into the league, the way the media holds those people accountable once they step up to a podium to, to, to say, you know, we feel bad for, for Matt and everybody who's affected. There should be somebody in a press conference that says, let me just, let me just clear this up. You feel bad for the guy who admitted to having sex with an underage girl who was extremely drunk. Just let's just clarify. Those are fair journalistic questions. When Deshaun Watson comes back to play football, do we really care about how he played? Do we really care about how he played? I mean, quite honestly, by then, there's a strong chance that the Browns will be out of playoff contention or close to it. Are we going to talk up to Deshaun Watson about how he's going to get the Browns back into playoff contention as he returns against the team where he colluded with them to cover up assaulting women? We have to do better than that, right? We just have to. So, you know... This, I, I say this all to say, when you, when you look at who should be um, leading the charge in, ter in terms of somehow making some sort of change moving forward, would I like to say that we could hold the NFL and the teams and the players accountable? Yes, but, but it, it appears that we cannot. It appears that regardless of how many women you lure into being alone with you and then assault, you're still gonna be able to get one of the biggest deals in the history of the NFL because you are a quarterback who has had two good seasons, right? So where do you turn? You turn to the people who are charged with letting those guys off the hook in the name of sports. And I think we can do better at not doing that. All right, let's transition into our AFC predictions. So I think, you know, every single division in the AFC kind of has its own standing, right? Like, we know that the most competitive division in the AFC is going to be the AFC West. Maybe the most competitive division we've ever seen in football because everybody is building their teams to compete with Patrick Mahomes. Um, an approach that admittedly the AFC East did not successfully take uh, during the Belichick-Brady uh, dynasty. Um, fair, to be fair, that dynasty lasted almost 20 years, so uh, there was a lot of, lot of attempts. Um, but the AFC West is pretty stacked. You know, I would say... You can decide, like, the Chargers are always talented. They have Justin Herbert. They have Brandon Staley at head coach. And so they have the everything in place. They have the blueprint. We've seen the Chargers fail to live up to their expectation time and time again, even before the Justin Herbert era. So obviously there's always going to be questions there, but they play the Chiefs really well, and we know that they're going to be playoff contenders. Uh, we know that the Broncos will be better this year with Russell. And how much better? I don't know. They've got, you know, Nathaniel Hackett as a new head coach. Russell Wilson is new in their system. There's going to be a lot of changes at play. Um, 
you know, the, the Raiders are a little bit more stable in the sense that their roster is going to look a lot similar to what it did last year, especially on offense. They've improved at, um, at head coach, in my opinion. Um, I do think that what that, whether that means that Josh McDaniels are, is good or just better than John Gruden remains to be seen, but I do think that they've improved at head coach and Derek Carr is definitely further along and has a different skill set that I think that Josh McDaniels will have fun with. So that's going to be a really competitive division. I think they're going to beat each other up a little bit. And it's going to be incredibly fun to watch. The AFC North, again, another division that's always very competitive. And um, outside of the Browns, who I do think, like, I do think they're eventually going to implode, whether it's with Jacoby Brissett or when Deshaun Watson comes back. It's been a long time since Deshaun Watson played football. So I hope the guy crashes and burns. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals are coming off of that Super Bowl run. That was a very weird Super Bowl run. They weren't, they weren't exceptionally good in the regular season last year. They were, they were good and they were fun, but they were not Super Bowl contenders. That was a sort of run of destiny. Could they take a step back? The Super Bowl hangover that we know happens sometimes. Um, I think so. I think they could. Joe Burrow is going to continue to get better. That's, you know, I, 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 I'd be crazy not to think that, but um, I do think that there's a chance for the Ravens or the Steelers to give them some trouble in winning that division. You know, the Ravens and the Steelers perennial sort of threats to make the playoffs. Um, the Ravens are in a much better spot because they have Lamar Jackson and Jim Harbaugh and those, their roster is going to be a lot healthier this year. They were very hurt last year. And, uh, you know, I sniff a comeback season. I sniff a comeback season for Lamar. What can I say? I think the guy is, um, has kind of slipped back in, in the ratings and people are forgetting just how good he is. So I, I think the, I think the, it might be the Ravens, it might be the Ravens division to lose. I know that I, it's no disrespect to the Bengals. I just think that making it to the Super Bowl can sometimes, it can sometimes cause a hangover. And if they had a better head coach, I'd feel so much better about where they are, but I don't believe in Zach Taylor. I'm sorry. I don't, I said it last year. I'm going to say it again. He's coming off a super bowl and I'm not saying he's trash co coach. I'd be crazy to say that. I don't believe that he's the kind of dude who's going to like get them to the next level and make them perennial super bowl contenders. Um, I do think that they're going to need a little time to figure out what to, what to be after a run of destiny, because that's what that was last year. As far as the Steelers go, like I mean, are we going to be starting Kenny Pickett by week five? Who knows what's going to go on with the Steelers? And I do think that, like, defensively, they're always going to be really good. But they have, you know, a, it's very quiet, but they have a very similar problem to the Patriots. And honestly, I think it's worse, which is, like, they just don't have an offensive identity that makes any sense. At least the Patriots have Mac Jones, consistent run game approach, all Bill Belichick, right? And Mike Tomlin's an amazing coach, but I don't, you know, I don't think he has the same kind of grasp on his offense that, Bill Belichick has. Uh, I don't think he's proven that. And regardless of how many good wide receivers they've drafted over the years, like it's been a long time since they made a really deep playoff run or made a Super Bowl. And it's not going to be with Mitch Trubisky, that's for sure. So, you know, I see th this is all to say that I really don't see where the Patriots are going to fall out of playoff contention, which is what a lot of people are predicting. First of all, we know the Jets are going to be the worst team in the AFC East. I think they're going to be kind of fun to watch. I just don't think they're going to be good. Um, not a hot take. I am aware. I'm just saying the dolphins can get the dolphins will get the benefit of the doubt from me when they earn it. 
Like that has been a dumpster fire organization and franchise for a very long time. And I think two is okay. Like, I think he can be better this year. Definitely going to be better with Tyreek Hill and some of the pieces they put around him. Um, I think Mike McDaniel is a fascinating head coach and probably going to do some really fun things on offense, but you know, that team's coming off of like major sanctions for tampering and everything else. Like the drama around Tua, Tyreek Hill running his mouth, brand new head coach. I will pick them to be better than the Patriots when they fucking earn the right to be picked. Anybody who's like putting their faith in the Dolphins right now, just because they think the Patriots aren't going to be that good is honestly dumb. It's just, it's fucking rocks for brain stuff. So, you know, that put the pay, you know, to me, that puts the Patriots. Okay. They're going to be, they're obviously not going to be better than the bills. We know that it's almost a, it's almost a relief as a Patriots fan, right. To know, like, they're not going to be as good as the bills. They're going to be competing for second place in the division. I think that they can do that. I think there's a completely reasonable expectation that they do that easy. All right. Like, it's like, I know it's easy to say now the time of optimism before week one, when everything looks shiny, but, um, I think the expectation of second place in the AFC East in a wild card spot is very reasonable. No one's coming out of the AFC South outside of whoever wins the division, probably the Colts. Um, I think that the Titans are way too reliant on Derrick Henry at his age and coming off an injury. I, I hate to doubt a guy that with that much, the, that much history of proving people wrong. Right. But um, I think the Titans ha- reached their peak. I think they peaked and I'm not sure they have anywhere else to go, but down, especially after losing their best wide receiver, the Jaguars are going to be fun. I think they're going to be much better under Doug Peterson. Of course, super fun. I, I love Doug Peterson. I loved him as the head coach of the Eagles. I think he's fun. I think he's the right guy to be there, but they still have a lot of work to do to get to where they need to be. Um, the big, the fun thing is going to be watching, you know, what they're able to do with Trevor Lawrence and how much he'll be able to improve. And, uh, and the Texans are going to be bad. So, you know, it's probably the Colts division with Matt Ryan. Colts are always pretty good. Matt Ryan's always pretty good. They're probably going to win the division that no one else to me, no one else is coming out of that division as a wild card, which means the Patriots are in the same league as maybe the Bengals. If the Bengals do sort of backslide the way that I'm, and that I'm anticipating uh, Steelers, do I think that, I, I mean, I, I think that they're closer to the Steelers than they are to the Ravens. I think the Ravens are a more talented, more dynamic team than the Patriots right now. Uh, that'd be crazy not to believe that. And obviously they don't have a Joe Burrow and the kind of receivers that Joe Burrow has. So I think they're probably closer to a Steelers type team. That's maybe, um, but with a, you know, a much better quarterback situation. So people are going to consider the Steelers as a potential playoff team. Then you definitely have to put the, you definitely have to put the Patriots in there. Um, and then there's probably going to be two teams that come out of the AFC West in playoff contention if they don't kick the shit out of each other too, too much. So, if you, you know, you look at the, you look around the conference and it's a, t- there's a ton of talent on top, right? And you look at teams like the Bills and the Chiefs and the, and the Ravens and the, and the Chargers and, you know, and you look around and the, the elite of the elite are all to me, the best, you know, in the, in the league, or most of them are in the AFC, but that middle tier is pretty good too. And I think the Patriots are, I think they have every capability of being in there. Um, again, why, why are we doubting a team that made the playoffs last year with a rookie? I think they're going to be like, you know, the, the biggest wild card is like, how does the offense function without Josh McDaniels, right? Like how do they transition from there? I personally thought McDaniels play calling was getting old and stale. So it's kind of crazy for me to complain that they don't have McDaniels when I was kind of getting sick of McDaniels. I think it's going to be good in Las Vegas with more, you know, talent, um, 
you're going to have Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Derek Carr. Like, I think it's going to be fun and different, but I, I think that the combination, I think what he was doing in new England was getting stale. So do I necessarily believe that the Patricia brain trust is going to get them where they need to go? No, but again, I, my fingers crossed that Bill Belichick has some tricks up his sleeve in terms of taking more charge of the offense than he's letting on. So that's, you know, there we go. Like I, I predict the Patriots are going to be sort of in a wild card contention spot based on everything I just said. I went through every division so that we could really like sketch it out, like better than the Texans, better than the Titans, better than the Jaguars. Okay. Better than the Browns, probably better, probably better than the Broncos. I don't know. I don't know. The Broncos are such a wild card. It's really hard to tell, um, you know, better than the Jets and the Dolphins. I don't know. Looking pretty good to me. Looking pretty good to me. It's a preseason prediction. It's the best I can do right now. I'm this again, great time to be an NFL fan. You can be optimistic. You can look at what the best, uh, you can look at the glass half full, right? So that that's what we're doing. Uh, that's it. That's it for today. We're officially back. As per usual, this is not an always NFL podcast. We do hit if there's major stories across other sports, national news, all that stuff will hit on it. If anything major happens with the Red Sox, if they like trade for Shohei Otani, um, I know, I, I know pipe dreams, pipe dreams, but you got to have them. Right. And, you know, we're going to continue to talk about all that stuff. Other Boston sports, national news, you know, I'm going to hit you with WWE at some point, um, little segments at the end of, uh, at the end of the podcast, uh, you know, there, I have a couple of guests that I like to bring on to talk WWE with. So sometimes there'll be little, little segments about, about the, the, the wrestling world on that. And, uh, in general, just having fun with you guys. I'm really happy to be back and, um, you know, make sure you are subscribed on YouTube at CLNS and you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, follow me on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. I think I'm going to put some of the podcast stuff and other things on TikTok. I already kind of screw around on there, but you know, I don't really have a following. I'm an old person on TikTok, but you know, well, we'll see what happens. You never know. So wherever you consume social media, find me. And in the meantime, have an awesome end to your summer. Enjoy the weather as we get into fall. And I'll join you next week to do some NFC predictions and hit on whatever gets kicked up between now and then. So have a great rest of your week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.